The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. Sarah with First Circle, and today I'm so excited to introduce Adriana Lozada, and she's an advanced doula, a postpartum educator, a child sleep consultant, and I asked her, what does she not do? She says she even dances, so I'm <laughs> all the things. In the late 90s, she co-founded a newspaper and a media company, and it's a network of youth sites in Spanish. It was named as one of CNN's Espanol's 2000, or 20 Latin American leaders of the internet in 2000. So I am so excited to have you with me today. Yeah, <laughs> and I also awesome. host the Birthful Podcast. That's oh, yes, yes. Overlap the in the birthed world. Yeah. Yep. Well, then my next question is, with all of that on your resume, what sucked you into the birth world? How did you get your start? Like most birth professionals, when I, when I had my child, she's 16 now, and I was coming from a journalistic background, right? So I read all the things and did all the checklists and had them, you know, the birth plan and midwives took the classes and figured I was set and ready. I didn't have a doula though. I wasn't, that, that was, if you ask my husband, he'll say we were stupid and didn't have a doula. Like that was definitely not a good choice. Um, but even though I had all those things and the birth on paper, was exactly what I wanted. It was a miserable, lonely, hard experience because nobody explained to me that the skills that I usually use in my life of organization and being on time and goal-oriented and all of that would do help me in no way during Wow, birth. what a good point. <gasps> what no a way. good point. Right? Yeah. Birth is about messiness, about uncertainty, about going with the flow, about trusting your intuition, not thinking it, about it's the, uh, it's all these. You can't write a paper on it and make it right or make it the way you want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after coming out the other end of that and having, you know, postpartum, not non-diagnosed depression, but it was, uh, again, I didn't go to have it diagnosed, but it was a really hard time. Um, I decided uh, I, I needed to shout from the rooftops how crazy all this was, how the person who's giving birth is not put in the center of their care and giving the tool, the tools and the support they need, right? Like everything's happening around them and they're just a vessel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to create, because of my background, I wanted to create like the truth campaign for tobacco, right? Mm -hmm. But for birth, like something that enormous. But I had a newborn and I couldn't quite do that. So then I became a doula well, to help one client at a time. But but what I find interesting is millions of women give birth every year. What was it for you that just pulled you? What what why why were you different than all the millions of women that that experience birth suffer like you did? Because you know you know you're not alone, obviously. Of course. And then but they don't choose birth work. What do you think was your special call? Nobody's asked me that before. Um I think having been a person that was so heady and so brainy mm. and going through this experience, I can't tell you from a thinking point of view what it was because I wasn't in that state. It was just like a feeling of feeling my way, just like a baby's like trying things out and, you know, they stand up and they fall down and do it again and doing it again. I was kind of like just trying things out and, and you know, I'll become a doula. And then that slowly, it's almost like doula work found me and birth work found me mm. because I started doing that like, yeah, yeah, not really too serious. And then I kept adding things and adding things, like you said, like the postpartum education and the sleep consultations and all these things. And then the podcast. Um, and years after I could realize, oh my gosh, this is the best thing that ever happened. And I'm so glad I kind of went with that intuition and just continued to explore in yeah. this messy kind of way. Followed yeah. the intuition, followed where it led down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So when was it that you became uh, passionate then about the, I love you comparing it, the, the campaign against tobacco. When, when did that really hit that you're like, okay, this could be that big. 
Well, no, that's not I had when I was like uh, pregnant and had oh, my baby. Wow. Like that was that was it. But but I didn't think that was anywhere near doing something like that. But that mm-hmm. idea stayed in the back of my mind. And then about six years ago, my husband said, "Why don't you do a podcast?" It was he had he was playing with a podcast and he had like the the technology already here and he says I don't have the content you have the content you do a podcast oh you I love have it the knowledge. I yeah. love it when the husbands come in and like hey do something birthy I love that <laughs> and so he set me up and um, because my background was in in communications in Venezuela I had done radio then so sitting in front of the the mic was not an issue like it, that. I, I had the skills already in me to do it. I had produced a, a weekly newspaper. So dead, the weekly new, uh, deadlines were easy for me. Mm-hmm. So it was like the perfect match and a full circle to my own identity, bringing together the communications and the birth world. Yeah. Along with a platform then to, you know, not the truth campaign, but do something. Yeah, the truth. Well, well, also, I mean, tobacco is bad for everyone, period. But the cool thing about birth is that there are so many different ways to approach a healthy, safe, fulfilling birth. And so you get to kind of take your own, you get to find your own truth. And that's what makes this movement so cool is that we are all speaking to to the same final goal. We want every person to have an empowered birth, right? And a wonderful and healthy and safe and building experience. But how we go about it is really different. So what do you think is the, for you, what was the key to getting to getting a an empowered birth? Well, so here's the thing. I had a... I always well, say so, I yeah, had... sorry, not for yourself, but then after you've experienced it, what would you say for people coming behind you? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that was definitely something I learned through my clients being a doula. And then the overlap of starting the podcast and getting to say, how can we improve birth? And let me backtrack. Um, I, as a doula, I was going to births and when we got to the pushing stage, I was like, oh, great, you're 10 centimeters. Here we go. I'm going to hold a leg. You're going to, we're going to push for three hours. You're going to be exhausted. Hold your breath, tuck your chin. Like this can't be it. This cannot be the way that that birth is intended, that, that the birthing person is supposed to meet their child exhausted, doubting themselves, not knowing if they, because when you start pushing for three hours, you know, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And it's very discouraging. And it's- it is. And then they come along and they check you until you're only a four. <laughs> yeah, no, but then like from like from 10 to be pushing, like the actual pushing stage, right? Um, and I was like, this can't be it. This can't be it. So I started the search of what are we missing? And it was in from that inquiry that I started the podcast, thanks to my mentor, Pat Predmore, doula mentor, who said one day, she's like, it's a matter of self-efficacy. And I'm like, self-efficacy, sure. Let me Google that. What do you mean? And basically self-efficacy means that you believe that you can do it. And then talking to all these birth professionals, sort of like trying to find answers of what we were doing wrong to birth and birth professionals or, or perinatal professionals in the whole spectrum from fertility to postpartum and asking them my questions and then connecting the dots. And I had an aha moment mm-hmm. of, yes, now I know how the self-efficacy works because as a doula, I experienced, we had, and maybe you've had this experience, you had all your wish list, your birth plan, all the information, like what you wanted to happen during birth and when you got there, somebody says, oh, but the heartbeat sounds a little off or you don't want to yeah. do that for your baby, right? You don't want to, you, you don't want to harm your baby. Whoever answers yes to that question first. Right, off, right. Right. Mm-hmm. I have my sticker of stop fear-based maternal health Exactly. Whoever wants no. to, yeah, yeah, I want to hurt my baby, right? Like I, you care more about my baby. Well, I that. heard something that's just rattling in my head the last couple of weeks. Somebody said, there's no such thing as an unnecessary C-section because in the moment you thought it was necessary. You agreed to the C-section under duress, right? So in your mind, it was necessary. And that's just unfair that, that yeah, you're But push- if you agree 
through coercion, that's not, that's right. not consent. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, so that afterwards, yeah. no, but the, the thing is the guilt that you get that afterwards yes. you realize it was unnecessary. And she's saying, no, don't call it an unnecessary C-section because in the moment you believed it was necessary. That's what the medical providers made you feel. And maybe it was necessary and we're not even getting into that rabbit hole. Yeah. But, but the point is, if you feel like you had an unnecessary C-section, don't be so hard on yourself because it was necessary in your mind at that moment. Otherwise you wouldn't have had it. Right. Some that, yeah, you can't backtrack and play, mm -hmm. you know, hindsight. Oh, it's, un it's unfair. Unfair. Um, but then it was the fact that that we would get into the birth room with, with clients and they would, at the first mention of this, they would lose all their resolve Yeah, and go, and, and it's like, why? This is not what you wanted. Why are you losing your resolve? And it's because we put the care providers, there's a hierarchy as them being the expert of what's going on, but birth is not pathology. It's a physiological event and your body does physiology really well. So it was about turning things around and how do we help birthing people to support their own physiology so that they oh my know gosh what to do. <gasps> I love that because it is not a power of the mind it's not a it's not a willpower thing anymore it's basic phy physiology yes oh my gosh keep talking right you blink you breathe you digest and right? birth. you you do this all the time and you birth you yeah. do know your mind can affect those things you can you know hold your eyes open uh -huh. hold your breath and or you can be a, too afraid to birth you can mess with the system with your head but I've experienced point. it. Well, I was going to say, I, I've experienced the eject response several times and it, it's like a, a sneeze a thousand times powerful. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can't control it. So it's that like at some point your body takes over, your body is going to blink, uh, blink, take a breath, mm -hmm. you're going to birth. And sure, there are no guarantees. There's always a risk to everything, but we get into cars where we could die and we take that risk every day. Mm -hmm. because we understand the risk is very low and we understand what to do to properly do it right, right? To prevent be, complications. Seat and that would be the equivalent of supporting physiology. You put on your seatbelt, you, you know, make sure your eyesight's are like whatever. Same thing in birth. So how do you support your physiology? And then, so the trick is what physiology needs is to, for you to get out of your thinking brain and to oh my goodness. go deep, bring oxytocin. So anything that makes you fear, uh, makes you feel unsafe or fearful or anything that triggers adrenaline is taking you out of labor. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking <laughs> you're not birthing. I know, but I'm just laughing because I think, okay, you're telling me not to think. So now I'm thinking about how not to think. And now I'm overthinking why I shouldn't be thinking about how not thinking. Well, and that's the other problem, right? Because usually what we do is even this, the, the, how we describe how labor progresses, we usually do like three stages and you go from zero to 10 centimeters and then you push and da, da, da. your body doesn't care about any of that. Your body doesn't uh. care how long it took, but we describe it that way because that provides markers for the medical community to observe and pay attention to. <gasps> okay. 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 So I, sorry, I'm going to take you down a rabbit hole when you're ready. Yeah. Do you want me to continue that thought? Yeah, I keep going, but I'm oh, wait. so excited. I lost my thought. Hold on. No. Um, well, so so if you if you describe it that way to the medical community for their markers, then then I want to hear birth described because we still have to use words, but talk about it in a physiology physiology kind of way. What does that look like? Right. So the let me tell you, I remember my thought, the bridge there. So your body as a birthing person could care less about any of that. And usually what we tell birthing people, and we do this in childbirth education classes and everywhere is like, but don't worry about that. Trust your body, trust your intuition, surrender. Well, we don't know how to trust our bodies or intuition, what is that? And who wants to surrender to anything? The tools we give birthing people cannot stand, are not strong enough to give them enough when you put them into the hospital with machines and observations and yeah. dilations and check to be able to naturally flow into physiology. Mm -hmm. And despite all that, we have births, right? So how you describe it is I do a, an iceberg analogy 
where what you have above the water is all the stuff that the medical language, right? And it's great for you to know that because that's language of your midwife and your providers and your childbirth classes. Like you need to know that, but that's not your purview. That's their purview. Now we're flattening out the hierarchy. That's what mm. they worry about. Mm. And then what you worry about is what's below the surface, which is how to, so I've, I've split it up into four um, aspects, the physical, the chemical, the mental, and the emotional. And I go through those with my, uh, in my classes and with my doula clients, and I give them homework during pregnancy so they can learn how to support those four aspects. Can we, yeah. Can you go through an example? Like physically, would that be like muscle cramps? Like I know some women just get really bad. Is that what you're talking about in the physical realm or how to can, stay out of the thinking that the doctors do? I'm trying to like, well, let's say like the physical part, the physical aspect it's about, it's all anchored in physiology. So what does your body need to happen and how oh, are you okay. going to help that happen? So for example, in the thinking brain, so that would be the mental aspect. You need to go into deeper brain waves because you have your thinking brain and your primal brain, your mammalian lizard brain. Those don't think at the same time. It's an either or proposition. Mm -hmm. That's why if you're thinking, you're not birthing. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, and this is based on the work uh, inspired by the work of Michelle Odant, who's a fantastic OB, French OB and has amazing books and he's just fascinating. Um, and so you need to shut off your thinking brain to make sure you're in your primal brain and you go into deeper brain waves, right? So the, the brain waves, like you, you and I are talking right now and we're in beta mm -hmm. brain waves. And then those moments when you've been like, ah, or when you're in Shavasana or prayer or in that super focused moment, you're in alpha. And then we do subconscious uh, theta and delta, unconscious as subconscious when we sleep every night. During labor, you're actually accessing all those brain waves, all those parts of your knowledge and knowing and brain while awake. This is what's called labor land. And you have it's experienced fascinating. this. I have, and I watch <laughs> it over and over again when I attend births and it's, it's magic. And which is why I love filming births because it's so neat to show this out of body. I mean, people say it's like an out of body experience, but it's an in body experience. And the video often doesn't reflect what they thought the world was looking like at that moment. It's so neat. And that's a place that's very liminal. There's no time. There's no yeah, space. There is there it's just internal. You're so, and you're in your intuition, which is a different way of knowing. You're not knowing with your brain, you're knowing, or your thinking brain, you're knowing with everything, which is why maybe a client will, in the middle, the laboring person will be uh, in the middle of a contraction and suddenly stretch really. Yep. yep and you're yep, like, why flip did around they do that? and splash out the water? Yep. <laughs> it's they intuition. were so connected. They were in that space that they were able. So the trick is how to. Learn so this is why hypnobirthing or visualization or meditating, all those things work. You want that's the practice you do during pregnancy. Got it. Because you're practicing getting into those deeper brain waves. The quicker, the more you do it, the quicker you'll be able to access them during labor. And isn't it easier then to go back into them if you're distracted or pull out of it? Absolutely. And even yeah. when you're having contractions, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about like, at some point, your body's going to take over. It's about helping your body, you get out of the way. So your body can do this earlier. Right. And when they come and they say, you know, give you a disappointing vaginal check, or we need to measure this, like, that's all. Those are all even your due date, even timing contractions. Those are interventions, because they're taking you out of physiologic labor. Mm -hmm. They're taking you out of your deeper brain and into your thinking brain. Mm -hmm. So that's the trick. Like what are the things you can do practice during pregnancy so that you learn these skills and then you know how to support them in the hospital when there's all these it. other tools grabbing your attention. And you even know, when you, you focus deep. Yeah. And even when you tend to be the type of a, a 
people say people pleaser, you're very in tune to what other people need or want or expect of you versus, you know, that can be a personality trait or based on trauma. This practice can help you stay in your own space. Then even when those things are happening, like you could have somebody that's normally a people pleaser, but then when she goes into birth, she is like, like in her own space and you don't, you don't bugger. Right. And that, that could be, it can be natural, but it costs, you're saying it can be taught. It can be learned and practiced. Well, and not, you can learn it, you can practice it, but also just having the knowledge that that's where you want to go and that's what you want to support. Mm-hmm. That that you're not going to look at the machine. You're not going to care about dilation. Who cares if you're three? No, you nobody could, cares. It makes no Your difference. body doesn't. So don't go in that mind game Mm-mm. of, oh my God, it took 20 hours to get to three. It's going to take uh, three yep. more days I to get know. to 10. Oh. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> birth is not linear and your cervix is not a crystal ball. Like that is not how it works. So, um, mm-hmm. but what you were saying about the people pleaser and the trauma, all of that gets into the emotional aspect. Oh, okay. So that, and the thing about these four aspects is that they are not, it's not linear. Like one happens after the other, they're intertwined and they happened. Some of them come up, you know, they, they, they may show up more at one point and come down. And so you might be more needing to support the mental st- state uh, aspect on one point and then sometimes you need to support more the physical aspect and so forth um and they're also they don't happen in a vacuum right they're affected by your team your environment your past experiences our cultural beliefs so there's so much unlearning that needs to be done for that self-efficacy i can do this mm-hmm and I know I just threw at you like so much because I'm so passionate about well, no, it's the pro- What's so overwhelming is that so many people go into birth, the birth experience, and they go, well, there's the spectrum, right? There's the don't talk to me. I just want to do whatever the doctor says. Okay, fine. That's a choice. You, that's totally fine. But there's so many people that go in and go, I know in, intuitively, and I've heard that there's something different, but where do I start? And so then there's the there's the worry, am I doing this enlightenment right? <laughs> am, I, am I enlightening in the right way? Am I doing the right work? And it's just some, sometimes that can just even make it worse. So, you know, overthinking. So you go back to the physiology or the, you know, the physical part of the brain, right? When is your, but yeah, just so many times it's like, you can tell someone just prepare and you'll be fine. But then they go, what do you mean prepare? Do I need to? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, but what I also love about this model is that it does give you things you can control because we think that in birth, you can't control anything. And that's not true. Oh, that is. Oh, say that again. <laughs> it is true. And that's part of the fear, honestly, that people go into is they feel like I'm not going to be able to control anything. So why prepare anyway? But you're, that's false. You can control how you show up and you can control how you support your physiology. You can't control if your water breaks or not unless, or you could say like, break it for me, but you can't control when your birth starts. You can't control all these other things. So that's the uncertainty part that you just have to be good with and figure out how to deal with that. But when you're in it, you have immense control of how you support your physiology. Mm -hmm. And you turn off the lights and that makes it better. You move around and that makes it better. Like all these ways that you support these aspects. You have complete control over that. That's true. And if somebody take, yeah, okay, I was going to go down the, you know, I was digressing into where those things are controlled for you. Like if you're hungry and you feed, but there are some, you know, places where they won't let you eat. And that's, that's difficult when an external tries to get in the way of your self care, really. Going back to Michelle O'Donnell and his research, um, he, one of a few things that he says activate the thinking brain are bright lights being talked to, so language, being observed, feeling cold. <laughs> yep. Did I just describe a hospital setting? I know. I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> but knowing that gives you power. It's like, okay, I am still going to go to the hospital because this is where I feel safe or just in case, whatever reasons you go to the hospital or because there's no other choices for you. Right. And that's true as well, right? Sometimes... Unfortunately, in the U.S., we have, and and in a lot of places of the world, that's the only choice. We've made this idea, we've created this idea that birth is safer in the hospital Mm -hmm. 
And that's not necessarily true. Places that have good coordination between transfer, like start at home. And if there's a problem, there's good coordination for that yep. transfer into yep. the hospital, have great birthing. Yep. Utah is one of those states. Outcomes. We have incredible outcomes because there's no um, drop and ditch by the midwives. We we just go right continued um, continuity of care straight from home to the hospital. Well, and there's no shame on the birthing no person shame. and mm-hmm. there's no judgment of how dare you birth at home. Yep, like all of exactly. those will affect your birth. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but also we've got this idea that the hospital is somehow the palace of God and you can't, um, you know, go against the universal laws of the, the all knowing. And it really is like a conversation. I mean, those hospital rooms are cold. What in their policy book says you can't bring a space heater? I mean, like, could you have a conversation before? Because I get cold really easily. And when you say that, I'm like, oh, that was probably one of my main triggers in the hospitals. I was always cold. So what about having, you know, midwife? Hey, I run cold thyroid things. Can I, can I bring a space heater? Well, no. Why not? Well, why not? Why is that? I know the OR has to be a certain degree for bacteria, but why in my own room when I'm birthing, it's supposed to be clean. Why can't I have a space heater? Well, well, that's the kind of conversation you can have at 30 weeks pregnant, calling all the way head up to head of media relations at the hospital saying, I need to be warm. Tell me why a space heater is going to put my baby in danger, please. You know, like, right. I don't know. I'm just pulling out a dumb example, but it's just, why can't so we here, have these conversations? Well, we should. We, we, we absolutely can. But we ha- need to know first that we need to have those conversations, right? Like even realize that the temperature is going to affect you. Then secondly, as a doula, I don't, and everybody does things differently. It's so hard to say. But in our neck of the woods, there's a thermostat in each room so you can change it. Mm. So we go in there and first things we do is turn off the lights, increase the temperature, and make it not cold imagine that so then your next step is to have a really good doula (laughs) oh my gosh yes (laughs) do you have a training for doula because this this I could see this turning into an entire curriculum on how to teach a doula to protect those four quadrants that that's so you're blowing my mind and I don't have my mind blown very often because I'm so birthy (laughs) and so I do I have a full day there we go that I teach (laughs) if you didn't you would have to (laughs) about rethinking prenatals I've been doing it for several years and I'm now doing it online which oh, is perfect. Whole, yeah, I just started doing it online before it was only live. Um, and it's a, it's called Rethinking Prenatals because it's about doing the work. Like when you show up at the birth, that's too late for, for doing this work. This work you have to prepare and do ahead of time. But it's in those prenatals and those meetings you have with your doula that you set, you realize, oh, what I need to practice. And start doing the works and, and have this plan and realize how you want to feel during birth um, so that then you can feel that way, regardless of if, even if you have a cesarean or lots of interventions, right? Mm-hmm. Back to how you want to show up and you can't show up. Control what how you show up. And so that, yeah, I have that full day training for doulas. And what's been really fascinating, one of the things that I saw with my clients is before I created the workshop, I started, oh, okay, right. Remember, I'm all over the place here. <laughs> all the again. things. I'm actually following you. It's, okay. it's fine. <laughs> this, this is, is my brain. Earthy. Welcome to our life. <laughs> yes. We're all over the place. Non-linear. That's our reality. Exactly. Um, back to the whole thing of self-efficacy, right? When I came to realize, okay, four aspects, this is how you support physio or physiology, this is how we can support it, structure it and start doing these prenatals with my clients and sharing this with them. And they would get it. Because birthing people are ready to do anything and everything to make this a good experience. They are like sponges, mm-hmm. right? You just got have to give them the proper we were not giving them the proper information. Mm-hmm. We are giving them tools on how to tolerate and navigate and you know endure the experience but Mm -hmm. not tools to empower them to own their experience yep so when I switched that around and started doing that with my clients lo and behold I love pushing now shorter pushing stages yeah with tons of fetal ejection reflex going with the flow of your body less interventions like all the things and that was better for them for the baby for care providers they would Mm -hmm. be 
because they they've also they're not there to be mean. Like they didn't they they they're don't human. Want, want to help you. They want yeah. to help you, yeah. but they don't get to see physiologic birth that often. So they've lost their trust in it. Mm. They don't get to see physiological birth very often, so they've lost their trust in it. Right. Wow. And so when we have these types of births in the hospital, like I've had nurses that, are, and I tell my clients, like, you just made that nurse's day because, and, and the nurse is like, oh, I wish everyone, every birth was like right. This. So that's the other beautiful thing of when you have people that, you know, have experienced a fetal ejection reflex and go with their bodies and yeah, get out of the way, basically, that providers suddenly, they if you let a laboring person just go with what their body is telling them and not be obsessively attentive to am I 10 yet? Because remember, mm -hmm. your body does not care if mm -hmm. you are 10. That's just a marker on the road. The goal is to, the goal is not to get to 10. The goal is to have a baby. Mm -hmm. So you just labor and you do nothing different. Mm -hmm. And then you, cause getting to 10 just opens the door. The well, I was just thinking, like you never measure your, how dilated your stomach is when you eat, but you know, when you're full. And I know when I was giving birth by the fourth time, I knew what transition felt like. I knew when the pushes, when the contractions became pushy and I knew the sensational change. So I wasn't checked because I didn't, I was just, I was just waiting for that change. Just like you're eating, 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 you're like, I'm starting to get full and now I'm full and now I'm done. I can't eat one more bite more. Right. That's all it is. It's a physiological thing. So, and we know what the uterus needs to do, but there's mm -hmm. also what the baby needs to do. And it's the cardinal movement to baby. And some of what that includes is a, so babies engaged in the pelvis then, and they tuck their chins. So that's flexion. How do they know that? They're so smart. To present the smaller part. I know, but how do they right? know that? How do they know they're supposed to do that? <laughs> the pelvis is wider side to side on the inlet. How do they know to turn? And wider front to back on the outlet. Every so, time I watch this happen, I'm like, how the heck did, and some babies are dumb and they don't. And then you're like, face presentation, what, what are you doing? Hello, sir. It's like, I've still come out, right? Or yeah. it'll, it'll just take a lot longer. But it's harder. But you're, you might be 10 and dilated, but if that head hasn't rotated and you start pushing, you're jamming a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to wait for rotation and then what follows rotation is extension. And it's a reflex. It's an inherent reflex back of the neck. You take your newborn, you touch them in the back of the neck, they lean their head back. Because when they rotate the head and they're looking to your back, right? They're in an anterior position. So they're back to your front. Mm -hmm. The head rotates, comes down. The pubic bone hits the back of the head and they extend. Oh my gosh. Gate. <laughs> I have never had this explained to me. <gasps> Keep going. I'm right here. Okay, so they, the pubic bone hits the back of the head and they extend it to navigate the curve between the pubic bone and the tailbone. And when you have something that big, rotate and extend in your crotch without pushing. <laughs> I mean, the, math. Right? <laughs> you feel it. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if you've had this experience. I'm sure you felt and you go like, <gasps> there's the baby. Yep, yep. You're like, oh, not a surprise here. <laughs> but. By letting all that happen on its own without telling you, okay, it's time to push. And that's it. No, 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 no. Then your body takes over. Your, you, the baby and the uterus are doing a beautifully coordinated dance where it's they're perfectly, perfectly communicating about how much force and torque needs to be put so that they can, the baby can rotate and come out without hours of pushing, without damaging your tissues that much. Mm -hmm. And from the moment you're like, <gasps> there's the baby or baby's coming to baby coming. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it can be like, it can be five minutes. It can be usually around 20 minutes, half an hour. It can be up to an hour for first time moms. This is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But if there was nobody like hovering over you and paying attention where you were, cause you're thinking, oh, you're not pushing. So you're, there's no baby coming. Cause you're not pushing when there's like, <gasps> there's the baby. 
Then as a doula, I run and get the care providers, like baby's coming, she's ready. You know, per, the person, they are ready. First of all, they're not being told what position to be in because there's no time. Mm-hmm. And the care providers just running to get their gloves on and suiting up and the nurse and everything. And then the, the baby, you know, they often, the, the birthing person often gets on, onto the bed, hands and knees, and we're already seeing the head crowning, right? Mm-hmm. What happens afterwards is, you know, of course, everybody's overjoyed when this baby comes, but the providers are saying, look at what you did. You are amazing. I wish everybody would birth like that. Like, that's how you should be treated after mm-hmm. doing that. You are basically a goddess, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You should be elevated because of what you did, not be left exhausted. It's so true. And so you don't, you want to support physiology, not just because it's nice to support physiology. You want to support physiology because it will make your experience and your baby's experience and everybody's experience better every step of the way. And when something is not not right or not like if birth is not flowing, mm-hmm. then usually it's it tends to be more clear as to the reason why. It's mm-hmm. not failure to progress or nope. you know. No, but if everything it just makes it more obvious as to what's amiss. I know that and when you say if you leave the leave the person alone, and I 100% agree, but then also if you're a very skilled provider, you can see when when she's struggling, you can step in and say, would you like me to make a suggestion or would you like, because like I know for my last one, I was waiting for that. I felt like I was fully dilated, but the con- the contractions just wouldn't change feeling. They just kept the same, the same. I felt like there was nothing going on. My midwife whispered in my ear, would you want me to check you and see if there's a lip? And, and I was like, I guess, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she did. And she's like, yeah, there's a lip. Let me just press it really quick. And she slid it. And, th- and then I was like, oh, I got to move, turn around. And the baby's like shot out. In fact, the footage is so fun because she's trying to get her monitor to listen to the baby and the baby's literally born. She like, that's how fast, but it was just, I could have been there for another hour and, and, and starting to suffer. I wasn't suffering at that point, but getting a little frustrated. And she saw that and recognized it and then helped externally my physiology do its job. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. Because then I still got credit for all being a birthing goddess, I mean. Of course. And, and, you know, I think that's part of also those four aspects of if things aren't progressing, then you move. Like, I'm sure moving would have created the equivalent of her holding back the lip. Like the baby yep. just needed a different pressure on that. Well, I don't, I don't, I do know that I flipped and lifted my leg up and it made all the difference. And it was, it was just, but it was based on her external Suggestion. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. I appreciated that so much. Yeah. That's what and we that's- should be hiring our birth providers for is to kind of get our, get our back as a, as a cheerleader and not as a, a an upper level management position. <laughs> well, but I think you do want, that's why you, I mean, midwives tend to be really good at doing both. Yeah. But you do want somebody and and that's what the doulas are for, right? Like that's, that is the definition of a doula. I have the luxury of not doing anything medical and I'm just there to support mm-hmm. the birthing partner, the birthing person and their partner and just to cheerlead and do suggestions and remind them they're mm-hmm. doing great reassurance, like all the things, right? Rub some feet. Um, and doulas and midwives work really great together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess mid- cheerleader, cheerleader is the wrong word to, to use for birth provider. It would be more that external, that that knowledge skill. They need to have more experience with physiological birth and variations of normal, which means a lot of sitting on their hands Mm -hmm. and not wanting to fix things based on charts, which is kind of the definition of how the the interventative model of care, the sort of medicalized part of birth that OBs tend to be taught. Not all OBs practice that, but that they tend that OB, the obstetric model of care tends to be one that pathologizes birth and sees it as a ticking time bomb of something going wrong. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it's just physiology. So instead of suggesting interventions because something's not working, the first line is how are you, are you scaring this person? 
are, they, are you talking them to death and they're in their thinking brain? Are you not letting them move? Them move? Like, how are you as a provider supporting the four aspects for them as well? Or are you are you setting a due date that gets in their brain and so they can't produce oxytocin? Yeah. Thinking, oh my God, I'm so anxious next week. I'm going to be induced and da, 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 da. That is not helpful. Time contractions. That's, yeah. oh, no. first thing you're going to do, go into your thinking brain. They're yeah. every 35 minutes. Just ignore them. Yep. You can't yep. ignore them anymore. Until you can't ignore them anymore. Yeah, when, that my clients say, when should I call you? Hmm. When you can't really call me anymore and you're not really caring about calling me anymore, then have your partner call me. <laughs> um, so you, okay, so I don't know if I missed this, but we have the physiology and then we have the emotional and what were the other two ones, spiritual and? Yeah, no, they're the physical, the chemical, the oh, mental chemical. and the emotional. And the physical is the basic, like a baby of a certain size in a certain position inside a uterus that's balanced in a certain way within a pelvis of a certain size, surrounded by a core that has a certain strength, pelvic floor, and they need to come out, right? Like it's the physicality, the more mechanic aspect of it. And mm -hmm. of course, nutrition and genetics and other, you know, other physical stuff also comes into play there. But how do you support that for the baby being able to be in a great position and moving and coming out? Mm -hmm. And then you have the, um, so the chemical is about hormones and that's how are you supporting the flow of oxytocin. Um, and really if you, and we talked about the mental, which is about getting out of your thinking brain and going into deeper brain waves and the emotional, which is how are you, how are your thoughts and how are your feelings going to impact your birth? Mm -hmm. Um, and that has to do with your past experience. And then you bring in trauma because sometimes it's it's that. So feelings are thoughts that have a physical component to them. They do. Right? That's well, what they feelings. The they, they translate. You can't have an emotional or thought without your body responding. So because birth is such an enormous physical embodied event, the you're going to have those, it, it can go the mind, body, body, mind connection where it can get triggered either way. So it's important to know this and during pregnancy, address it. Like what is, what might come up for me so that you're not hopefully dealing with it in the birthing room. But if you are, then how are you going to address it there too? Um, so that's a little bit of the work that we do. And I would like, I think everybody should do, um, because it's so helpful to support their physiology, but also understanding physiology. I told you about the reflex on the pubic, the back of the head that hits the pubic bone. Same thing, you know how your newborns, you, um, if you stand them up on your lap, they kind of bounce, right? So as the baby is, at the beginning, baby is really tucked into this sort of C shape in the uterus, but as the birth continues and the uterus, uh, oh. the dilation opens up and they unfurl into an S shape more coming out, they're less in the uterus, uh huh. right? So then they're in this unfurling, their feet have access to the uterus. And as the uterus pushes on their feet, they push against them. Hello, fetal ejection reflex. Yeah, okay. So they are literally like jumping off like a spring, like in the pool where you're like hit off the wall when you're nine years old and you shoot to go down. And that's where you're like, oh. ah, over here, right? Oh, you just, okay, mind blown. Uh -huh. And so there are tons. So the baby, when they're born, they know that, right? When, um, as they're coming, being squeezed through the birth canal, there's normal to have some heartbeat decelerations. Mm -hmm. Totally normal. What's a big job. And it's stressful. getting squeezed and everything. So physiology uh -huh. knows that that's going to happen. And so when you, like during the pushing stage, you get a surge of oxytocin. You've been surging oxytocin the whole time, but then you also get a surge of adrenaline. And at this point, it's not a bad thing. They're coming surging together. Your baby's getting the surge of oxytocin and a surge of noradrenaline. Mm. That noradrenaline is going to help them deal with this, the oxygen deprivation that they will likely experience as they're getting squeezed in those D cells as they're pushing out. Hmm. Birth, as Karen Strange says, is meant to work when there's nobody there. 
So there's all these little safe gaps and little tiny and reflexes and things that have that are part of it so that it works. Mm-hmm. Like we know your baby's going to have some D cells, which will make them a little oxygen deprived. And so we brought this in to compensate so that they're okay. Oh my goodness. But what if the mother's heavily medicated? Does that mess with those chemicals then? Well, I don't know that there's been any research done to do that. So I would, uh, anything would be speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. I mean, you would need the surge of adrenaline in the, in the birthing person and noradrenaline in the baby for, or yeah, the, like Mm -hmm. those surges come together. The baby's not going to surge alone. Right. It's, it's instigated by you. So yeah. Well, I'm just wondering like the drugs that make the baby super sleepy and lethargic, then they're not doing the springboard reflex and they're not doing their, you know, like, I don't know. I've seen babies born that just so floppy because mama is so medicated. So then. And so that's, you know, obviously reasons to lessen interventions and support more your physiology. And again, it's in your control. It's something you get to do and brings you clear focus during your labor. Wow. Cool. Okay. So I was that birth is like a chemical soup. <laughs> it's like, it is. Cause then, cause then you get the oxytocin, right? You know, the, the bonding hormones. If you take that baby to the NICU for the first six hours of life, that's kind of confusing to the hormonal system. <laughs> yeah. And why the golden hour is so important is because part of that noradrenaline is what is also keeping babies so alert and aware <gasps> that's why they're during awake. that first hour uh-huh. and then it sort of goes away. And then, yep, so and it's then a perfect, it's also creating a perfect environment for bonding and imprinting and working on all these instincts of the self latch and so forth. Interesting. Okay. So maybe this is not something you want to, or can speak to, but then in a C-section birth, they're not experiencing these same physiological, um, sorry, chemical changes. Then there's probably still some oxytocin from the mom because she's so excited to see her baby, but there's not like the normal flow, right? That labor would create. So, well, so we, so it depends on when the C-section, the cesarean birth happened. If it was at, you know, a scheduled or early labor or part of an induction where labor never happened or right. after really, you know, they were in pushing stage, like their hormonal output is going to be different depending that's on where they are. Good, that's an excellent point. Um, but the beautiful part of it all is, yes, this is, this is the, the, the blueprint. This is what the mandate of what the cells want to do, but we're also very resilient human beings. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't happen that way, you can always afterwards recreate what you can. And even if it's like five days later when you get home, get yourself even in the tub or lie down in the bed, get that baby naked Mm -hmm. and put him there and let them recreate the Mm -hmm. breast crawl or put him up and and help them self-latch if they haven't self-latched. I love that. So it's not all is lost if you miss that golden hour. No, no. You can absolutely recreate the things. It's better if it happens there because everything's primed and coordinated uh-huh. instead of having to be but recreated. This, I mean, I know but- that even adoptive parents will create these in- incredible opportunities to create a bond with their baby. Yeah. You know, that simulates the... And it's just it- as powerful, you know. And we know that skin to skin is so healing and let the baby tell you their story they also have oh, a story <laughs> so, so you can like listen. i do not want to nurse on that side because my neck is hurting exactly <laughs> right give them a voice like that yeah, yeah and I'm acknowledge not. i know that's hard it was a lot for me too yeah yeah tell me about it but... i know i know my third just kept crying and my midwife was like they don't normally cry this much and now she's older i'm like oh Yes, very opinionated about that whole situation. <laughs> Comes out. I love yeah. it. Okay, so we have, sorry, we got all four, right? Physi- physiology, emotional, chemical, and... Physical, yeah. chemical, mental, and emotional. Mental, yeah, okay. Yep, perfect. Okay, so I want to switch gears really quick as we're, we're running out of time. This is so yummy. Can you tell me about your experience um, coming from Venezuela? What, what kind of cultural practices that you pull into your birth work n- naturally? Like what, what kind of cultural goodness do you like to share? Within the birthing culture, I wish I could say that I can pull tons of things 
but in fact, I can't because the very, 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 very sad truth is that within most of Latin America and South America, so Central America, Latin America in general, sorry, within most of, of Latin America in general, birth has been medic medicalized even more. And you also tend to have um, a separation between, a, a large separation between private hospitals and public clinics, the other way around. <laughs> private clinics, public hospitals. And so in the public hospitals, cesarean rates are around 60%. Yeah, super high. And in clinics, they're around 80, 90%. Is that, is that because of money or is that because of convenience? Like there's so many to process that they just don't have time to wait for the normal physiology. Uh, it is definitely a weird convenience and a fear of birth like that cultural well, our mm. beliefs really impact right so mm -hmm. when the more fear you have around the birthing process itself and we see it in all our tvs yeah it, it, oh yeah no no we all know that so it's almost like a self-perpetuating cycle you have the fear then you have more demand for c-section then the c-section becomes easy so you do more and then you have more fear because you know what natural birth is not seen like you said a lot of midwives and, and OBs need to see true physiological birth more often so they can trust it. Well, and there's also then the cultural part of that adoration of technology. The more oh. technology, the better, because we oh, have- Interesting. If you've ever um, read anything by Robin, Robbie Davis Floyd, she has amazing, I've had all these people on the podcast. Well, not Michelle Adam, but, um, and I do have to give credit for all the hormonal things to the person who does the most amazing research in terms of birth hormones, which is Sarah Buckley. And if you can go read her report on the, on the yeah, she's hormones. Amazing. Mm -hmm. amazing. So um, Robbie Davis Floyd separates the technocratic model of birth and healthcare in general than the holistic and the humanistic. And it's the technocratic that we venerate. The more medicine, the better. And the body is not one whole part. It's a it's a machine with all these serious parts, all these parts that you have to separately fix. Hmm. That's why we have all these specialists, right? Mm -hmm. That's why people don't, they know what the uterus does and what the baby does, the mm -hmm. cardinal movements of baby. But when you, they, they're never superimposed. And when you superimpose them, that's when you realize like, oh, this baby, you can't start pushing until that head rotates interesting so huh. with the there's the veneration of technology and also specifically in venezuela venezuela is one of the places with the highest level of um plastic surgery hmm. in the world so people are not afraid of having surgery okay my mind is a little bit blown uh-huh so when you're thinking about fear, it's like, oh, have a very controlled, I know the date, I know the how, I can like, and surgery, pff, I don't care about surgery. You know, I've got my this done and my that done and whatever, I'll go surgery. Or this immense fear I have around birthing. And the fact is though, here's the thing. If the way the the protocols are in the place that you're going to give birth. The protocols are such that you're not going to be able to eat. You're not going to be able to move. You're going to be told what to do and you're not going to allow a doula and you don't have as and the only support you have is one that pathologizes birth and thinks that everything's going to go wrong. And if you're not dilating a, a centimeter an hour or like all these things, that's going to be an exhausting, really sucky birth. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear, right? Like I've supported those births, but those are grueling. Mm -hmm. They are. Ugh. So I, we need to do better. We can do better, but to do better, we need to switch our perspective to shift how we look at birth and really bring the power back to the person giving birth by <laughs> helping them support their physiology. Yeah. It's a very complex thing. Like what you're saying that's happened in Latin America. And I've heard that. I just, I've never heard it explained like you did. So that was amazing. But this is a very complex, very, it's going to take uh, 
a couple of generations to redirect if that was what the you know culture wanted but as it is and so you get you we see it in brazil there's been a revolution a small revolution in brazil where there are these ob's that swung the pendulum completely and are supporting unmedicated oh, neat. physiological vaginal birth and it was funny like again back with robbie davis floyd this was when she put out a book and these ob's in brazil had read it and then they brought her for a conference and when she went it was standing room only <laughs> so cool of ob's wanting to do things like stop this the cesarean like so it you can have the shift but it does require like you're saying so many things to change. Well, I mean, even if it's just so many times you talk about the moms and the doulas want the change and the OBs are against it. But here you have a case of the OBs wanting it. But even then, if the moms are against it, that change isn't going to happen. So it's got to happen on so many different for so many different groups of people. Yeah. And and back to your original question of what cultural practices I um I could bring forth from from my Venezuelan culture because it, it, it needs to be pointed that all of this was also a product of throughout Latin America, the vilification and eradication of traditional midwives. Mm. And of saying that knowledge is not valid. Yeah, right. It's happened in the US as well. It's happened all over the world. But it, it, it's happened really strongly in Latin America. So wow. you don't have midwives. Yeah. Available. Oh gosh, that's hard. Well, there's some states in the United States that don't have midwives. They've been driven underground or out of business completely. And I hope that's changing from all the research that we have showing how the midwifery model of care does for low risk pregnant people does. Um, oh yeah. And I want to clear there's, there's hospital midwives everywhere, but I'm talking about independent birth center or home birth midwives. Those have been driven out of business in many States. Yeah. And we have all these huge healthcare deserts. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we're in Utah. Um, and we have people coming in from Wyoming, which I don't know the law. So don't get mad at me in the comments, but, um, something about a water birth, not being legal or some, I don't know, something funky is happening in Wyoming that they'll drive two, three, four hours because it's already rural out there. The, this desert, this healthcare desert, it's already rural. And then they can't even get what they want or whatever. So they come to Utah to birth, and go back home. And that's so sad. Like the, and we have these, these healthcare deserts in rural and urban settings as well. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And it, the insurance can create a false desert too if if you are not able to self-pay and your insurance is not so going for it. So it's a hugely systemic problem that we have. And mm -hmm. it's going to become worse and worse because we're having a shortage of OBs as well. So the ideal yeah. model, you would have a coordinated, you would have home birth midwives and birth centers and hospitals all working together. And then you're able to cover a wider net yeah. of a region with the birth centers being, you know, you can't populate all these hospitals, but you can have more birth centers, mm -hmm. like less economically, it's, it's less of an investment. And then you have all these home birth midwives that travel and cover. So you could have a beautiful web of supported care and mm -hmm. options for everybody. Um, like that's what we need to visualize. And, yeah. and them all working together and talking together. I think we're getting, I really look at the difference between our mom's births and our grandma's births and what we expect for our daughters. I'm really excited to see how this changes. It's not fast enough for my personal liking, but I'm one that doesn't like to pump my own gas because it takes too long. So, I mean, we, we got to give ourselves a little, you know, some patience, but that we're actively working towards making this. And I love how evidence-based you are. So it's, it's like hard to argue against evidence and as evidence and truth becomes more well-known it's easier to make those changes and that's why I love physiology too because it's really hard to argue with physiology yeah that's what I'm saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> like I mean but I'm gonna be telling everybody for the next two weeks when I see a baby I'll be like do you know why they bounce in your lap do you have any idea? let me tell you <laughs> I'm so excited about learning that that is and you gotta remember nature is economical 
it yeah. is not going to bring about an action if you don't need it at that time. It's true. It is true. Because yeah, they're not going to walk for 10 months yet. And they're going to like, they're going to do a lot of other so, different okay, really. to strengthen their muscles. Yeah. Yeah. We always thought it was just strengthening muscles, but no, it actually serves a person because they kind of shoot themselves off themselves off your leg. So what's the, it walk- might do both too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Then that nature killed two birds with one stone. Nature loves to do that too. Economical. <laughs> Very economical. Okay. So can you tell uh, everybody how all of the different ways they can get involved with you? If they're a professional, what's up there, what's out there for them? If they're a mama, how do they get connected with you for the resources. Yeah. So, you know, everybody can listen to the Birthful podcast and there are six years worth of episode there. Um, so go binge, go learn, go deep it, rabbit hole that is to me yummy and delicious. <laughs> I love it when people just find the podcast and it's like, ah, binge. Mm-hmm. binge. Um, so Birthful, the podcast, birthful.com, the website, uh, at birthful podcast in Instagram. And then for all my courses, it's birthfulcourses.com. And I have childbirth preparation classes that talk about exactly this physiological way to prepare for birth and postpartum preparation classes, which take it a bit further into mm-hmm. now you had a baby and <sighs> now what's right. So how to prepare if you, it's too, again, too late. If you start with figuring these things out and knowing your baby's physiology when they're born, you got to do it ahead of time. So yeah, postpartum preparation, and then the uh, rethinking prenatals advanced doula full day workshop for, and then it's just uh, for birth professionals. It's not just for doulas. Whoever wants to come. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's yeah. Everybody should <laughs> have to take that class. Awesome. Come. Thank you so so much. I really really appreciate this. You're so welcome. This was lots of fun. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.